Hi, welcome to our podcast. I'm glad you're able to join us again. I'm Jason. And I'm Jimmy. So Jimmy, how are you doing this weekend, this first weekend of October? This has been a really good weekend for me. Uh, One of my favorite things is back. Saturday Night Live has just started airing live shows again. So I'm really happy about that. Same here. I mean, I got to give them credit where credit is due. Given that I don't think they've ever tried to do Saturday Night Live from home before over Zoom. I think they did a good job, but you're right. It just, it totally wasn't the same. So it was nice to see them. Gosh, since I think it was March. So at least six or seven months, they've been off the air or at least not in the studio. So it was really nice to see that again. Yeah. And I think Chris Rock as a host was a really good choice to kind of bring it all back. I agree. And then we got to meet some of the new cast, though I don't, I think maybe only one or two actually showed up in sketches. I wasn't paying close enough attention, but uh, an Austin comedian is actually now, or I don't know if he originated from Austin. Like, I don't know if that's where he was born and raised, but I know he kind of got started in the comedy scene in Austin. I believe his, his name's like Andrew Dismutes or something to that effect. Yes, I did not notice him this first episode. He might have been in there. Sometimes the new cast members don't really get featured a lot in the first episode. They come in, so hopefully I see more. Yeah, I mean, that's always been kind of a running joke on SNL that, you know, the the featured players show up maybe once or twice in an episode, and it's usually as like a background character or to deliver one line. Then after about a few months, if they seem comfortable enough, then they kind of push them up to do a little bit more. Uh, That or, you know, we don't see them next year. So was it a few years ago where they had something like seven new featured players, but only two of them actually stayed into the next year? Yeah, um, but, you know, every season we get a gem, like in a new feature, in a new cast member that they become a featured player. So hopefully we'll get a few gems out of this new group. I hope so, too. I do like that they added more people, because it seems like for the past two years, they've just been throwing on one or two here and there, but it seems like they added three or four maybe this time around, so no complaints here on that. I also feel like Kenan Thompson is never going to leave, and I'm okay with that. Yeah, at this point, I think this is pretty much his career. He's definitely the longest-serving cast member And he's been on for over 15 years, so I don't really foresee him leaving anytime soon. I mean, I guess at some point he has to or he will, but I feel like if he was going to pursue other projects, he would have done it by now, but who knows? Mm. Yeah, any uh, any other fun things that you did this weekend? How's the uh, mango tree, was it? Oh, three of my four mango seeds have died which is very sad. I think maybe this wasn't the right time of year to plant them, but one is still hanging on there. So I I got my fingers crossed for the one. If this doesn't work, I do eat a lot of mangoes just in general. So I will, I'll always have some seeds around. So I might save them and give it another shot, but I I must've done something wrong. Yeah. I mean, giving them a shot at life to be, grown it's better than throwing them in the trash so hey more power there 
Yeah, you don't learn if you don't try. So exactly, exactly. Yeah, this weekend I went to the park with the dog. We also went to a bakery yesterday, uh, Jane the Bakery, which isn't too too far from where I live, and we bought some. Uh, for, uh, what is it? Uh, pumpkin bread, uh, lemon bread, and banana bread. A slice of each of those. Because I wanted to try to make French toast out of them. So I still have the lemon bread. I'm going to try that tomorrow, maybe. I just, you know, lemon bread seems like it has a different taste. So I probably wouldn't be able to use the exact same batter that I would use for, say, the pumpkin or banana. But uh, yeah, I went and tried that. I made that this morning for my virtual brunch. Uh, every other week, friends and I have a, br- a brunch over over meat and uh, yeah, just try to hang out. And it was it came out pretty well. I would say I was impressed with uh, the results. Oh, that sounds like a lot of fun. Do you all bake the same thing, or like you all cook the same thing for brunch, or is it different things? And everyone shows off what they made. It depends. Some people order in, some people cook, some people eat before. So like one or two, one of the guys who's in the brunch club is in the central time zone. So by the time we start the brunch here on Pacific coast, he's already, you know, it's already afternoon. So he's already eaten. So he's just kind of like drinking a coffee or something or drinking a tea while some of us eat. One person always gets food after (laughs) the event, which is kind of funny. It's like, you know, this is brunch. You can eat here. But yeah, it's everybody just kind of does their own thing. Oh, wow. That's that's so fun. I hope you guys continue that after all this is over. That sounds like a really cool meetup. Yeah, that's one of the things that I really missed about being in person. Granted, now uh, the San Francisco government has opened up or is allowing in person uh or not in person indoors restaurants i believe up to like 25 percent or something like that i think this was just enacted last week uh we'll see what happens i'm probably going to sit pretty safe for now until maybe a month passes and see if we see any spike in cases as a result and if we don't then maybe i'll partake but that's one thing i really miss is just going getting brunch with friends standing in line somewhere all that craziness I miss movies. I miss the movie theater. Yeah, me too. Though I've gotten a lot of Netflix uh, Netflix uh, time there, so uh, or Netflix, and gosh, I even signed up for Disney Plus. I signed up for pretty much everything that exists. I, I just signed up for Stars about a month ago because I wanted to watch the Jeffersons and the Jeffersons are only on stars as far as I can tell. I mean, unless I wanted to pirate it, which I don't really have the, uh, I don't care enough to do that. So, uh, but yeah, so it's like nothing but streaming, but yeah, I can't wait to get back to a movie theater and watch movies on a big screen again. Oh yeah. Yeah. I'm ready for going back to the movie theaters and I know movies are, are playing again, but no, nothing's tempted me to risk my life yet. There's no movie that's come out that's been like, oh, I really want to see that. I'll I'll risk my life for that one. Yeah. Well, and I think that's what the studios are thinking, too, because except for maybe Tenet, I guess, it seems like no major film has been released since 
this had all started and tenant you know christopher nolan makes good films so for it to not do well in the box office i don't think it's because it's a bad film i think it's because nobody wants to risk their life to go see it and maybe some theaters don't want to risk opening so i think after that that kind of sends a flag to a lot of people that oh well there's no real way for us to make money uh during this time in a theater until things normalize a bit so that's why you're seeing everybody push stuff back i think like the new bond movie was pushed to march or april of next year or something like that so yeah i'm just i'm hoping we get some more uh on demand movies like send them over to some streaming services yeah i agree like like take for example Maybe not Black Widow, because I think Black Widow's probably a movie that's action-packed and probably better set for a, for a theater. But like The Eternals, for example, at this point, if Marvel just dumped it on Disney Plus for 30, 40 bucks, I would totally do that and have like a viewing party with my friends or something at this point. I mean, I paid for Mulan, so I feel like I would pay for anything. Yeah. Well, on that note, let's just dump or yeah. dump. Let's just jump right into the podcast. So this is episode seven, and we are at the end of season one, or we will be at the end of season one, and onto the season two next week. So uh, there's thirteen episodes to a season, and I believe there's a five seasons. I can't math, so I'm going to say it's five uh five ish something like that anyway so yeah so now we are going to look at episode 12 one is all and all is one and episode 13 uh beast of dublith now first we'll just jump into one is all and all is one where we left off the brothers were heading to dublith to meet with their teacher as they arrive they knock on the door and we see a beast of a man He's just big and burly, and based on everything we've heard Ed and Al say about the teacher, we assume it's him because we we think that the teacher is kind of intimidating. Well, that's actually the teacher's husband. We then see him call their actual teacher, who is, you know, housewife. She's not big. She's not bulky or anything. She's kind of unsuspecting, I guess, to the average person, but she definitely can hold her own in the fight. She kicks Ed in the face just as soon as she sees him, and she also attacks Al. I guess that's just her style. That's how she says hello. Well, then they go to the, the kitchen table and talk, and she asks about the Philosopher's Stone, or they ask her about the Philosopher's Stone, and she says she really doesn't know anything about it, the only person she knows who might know something about it was a man from Central City named Hohenheim. Ed gets visibly angry when he hears his name. Hohenheim is their dad who ran out on them. Now, we do get a little bit of a flashback to where Hohenheim does run out. It's the night Hohenheim runs out. And Hohenheim and Elric's mother, uh, Trisha Elric, are talking at the door about something. And then the brothers wake up, and Al, or yeah, Al has to go to the bathroom, and Ed's like, "Hey, what's going on?" And Hohenheim just gives him a look and leaves. No words shared between them. And the next day, they wake up, have breakfast. Ed says, "Hey, where's where's Dad?" And 
oh, Dad's, he left, but he'll be back soon. Kind of could see tear in Mom's eyes. Uh, he ultimately blames, Ed ultimately blames Hohenheim for his Mom's death. He thinks that had he been around, maybe he could have saved her, or maybe she died of loneliness, or something to that effect, or disappointment. Well, we then get to see a little bit more about their background. We do have another flashback where they are in a in the village of Dublith, or I guess it's assumed that it's Dublith. I don't know if that's actually Dublith, but anyway, there it's raining, it's flooding, levy has broken. People of the village are trying to stop the rain. Azumi just shows up, does alchemy, fixes everything, saves the city. The brothers are amazed by this and want her to teach them alchemy. She at first refuses. She gets angry. Somebody mentions that they don't have parents. So then she takes a little bit of pity on them as a result. The way she decided to start teaching them was to drop them off at an island in the middle of what looked like a lake. And tell them for a month they had to live there and they had to learn what one is all and what all is one means. They are forbidden to use alchemy and are just given a knife to survive. Izumi insists that this is the best way for them to learn because this is how she learned. She had to spend a month alone in the Briggs Mountains. If they can't learn this lesson, they will be limited as alchemists and they wouldn't be able to learn. So, you know, we jump back to the brothers on the island. They catch a rabbit, but they can't kill it because the rabbit's too cute. Rabbit manages to escape. They chase it, but then they come across some fox cubs eating, and it grosses them out. They decide maybe to try fishing, but they realize, oh, we don't have fishing equipment. So they go to bed hungry. Ed wakes up. He hallucinates, bites Al, thinks Al's like a giant piece of meat. He then sees ants on the ground and eats them. And that's kind of when Ed has this realization that he's alive because he consumed life. So now they start becoming kind of like survivor men. And they start surviving by hunting and creating tents and all that fun stuff. Ed realizes that if he didn't eat the ants, he would die and the ants would eat him. Then he'd become the grass that the rabbits would eat and so on. So it's kind of very circle of life. But basically what they discovered that everything is one in the universe everything is somehow connected. The island that they were on at one point in time was probably underneath the water. And in maybe a few tens, thousands of years, it could be a mountain. So yeah, ultimately they believe that everything is one and one is all as they put it when they were, when they returned to the teacher, all is the world and one is me. The real training starts. She teaches them a little bit about the flow of energy and how the circle is used in the transmutation circle is used to direct the energy or collect the energy and the matrix that they draw on it. So like with symbols is what actually kind of tells it what to do. So turn metal in from one form of metal to another or, you know, turn air into fire or whatever kind of alchemy they're doing. They notice that she is able to do the clapping transmutation without a circle. And when they ask her why, she just kind of says, well, maybe one day you'll see the truth. They then put together, we, we fast forward back to uh, current times, and they put together that, oh, she opened the gate before. So they go to ask her, and she pursues them in a fight. And 
In order to defend himself, Ed transmutes his arm into a blade to cut the spear that she created. And that's when she realizes they open the gate as well. It turns out that Azumi and her husband, Sieg, were barren, or they thought they were barren, but one day they did manage to get pregnant and have a kid. During that time, Azumi gets sick, and it affects the baby, and the baby is born stillborn. Uh, Azumi believes she can use alchemy to transmute the baby back to life, and unfortunately, we all know how that ends. She goes to the gate. And she loses her internal organs or some of her internal organs in exchange for opening the gate. It's likely the reproductive organs. She says it's okay uh, or she hurts and she kind of lets them know that it's all right to feel pain and whatnot. And the brothers kind of cry uh, and they kind of embrace. And that is where the episode ends. So... We're always going to ask the question, what did you think, Jimmy? Well, this episode gives us, or gives me, one of my favorite things again, which is Ed versus Milk. It's very quick, and it's in a flashback. Uh, We get to see a glimpse of maybe the beginnings of Ed's nemesis, Milk. So, I loved that, and there's... uh, this is another tough episode. It kind of starts off a little lighthearted with them meeting uh, the teacher and her kind of being angry at them. But then at at the end of the episode, it gets really, really heavy. Yeah, I agree. It does. It does seem to be more jovial with the whole, oh, we're fighting and kicking. It's like just kind of the very slapstick anime that style that you see in a lot of other animes so you think oh this is going to be another somewhat light-hearted episode but yeah dealing with death loss of a child how she essentially gave up part of her body to try to save her child and ultimately that failed uh i also so they, they insinuate that what she lost was her reproductive organs which i find interesting because that basically guarantees she will never have another child again. So trying to break the taboo of human transmutation to bring back her dead child takes away her ability to ever have a child. So it's all, so it's like almost a poetic justice in there, uh, in the way truth punishes you. It is, it is interesting. And it's, it's interesting thinking back upon they met her before they tried to bring their mother back. And I don't know if she would have told them, do you think if she would have told them what happened to her, that that would have stopped them from trying? That's what she insinuates. Cause she does mention that maybe I should have said something to you and you wouldn't have done it. I'm guessing maybe they wouldn't have tried But they're also so desperate to make it work that they might have anyway, because I I, like we see early on that the brothers acknowledge that that all the textbooks say human transmutation isn't possible. But in their mind, they just think, oh, well, it's possible. Just nobody's figured it out. But if we really try hard, we'll figure it out. So I'm not sure that if Curtis says, hey, I've tried it, it doesn't work. 
would have been enough of a deterrent, like, or if they would have tried anyway. I honestly have no idea. I, I also like uh, when we go to the flashback and we meet their mother, and um, it's the scene where Ed and Al, I guess, Al need to go to the bathroom, and Ed helped walk him over to the bathroom because it was nighttime. But their mom says, their mom calls Ed her little man. And I thought that was pretty funny because, like, you know, we get that throughout the whole show where people are calling Ed little or small. And I don't know if it made me think back, like, maybe Ed doesn't like to be called that because his mom called him that. And it's like a reminder of his mom. And maybe that's why he's getting upset. I, I, it's probably not. It's more probably the obvious thing. But a part of me is like, oh, what if his mom called him little man all the time when they were growing up? And now every time he hears that, that's what upsets him. Yeah, I mean, that's. I honestly never thought of that. That makes total sense to me. I think that would be pretty funny if that were the case. Oh, not funny, but sad. Uh, funny that I never picked up on it until now, until you mentioned it. Uh, but yeah, that is is a possibility. But then there's also just the obvious he doesn't like being made fun of for he's short, but or because he's short. But also, yeah, that could be part of it. It just reminds him of his mom because we also see him get angry when other things are brought up, like his dad and whatnot. And we see in the next episode, which we'll talk about shortly, how he gets mad at certain things. So that could very well be a trigger. I, I know. I feel like now that I'm rewatching these episodes, I'm taking notes. I feel somewhat uh, like a conspiracy theorist is coming out of me. Like, well, what if this puzzle goes here? And like, well, they mentioned that. So I think rewatching it now and talking about it with you on this podcast, has made me like deep dive into these smaller things that, that are being said in between characters. And, and now I'm reading more into everything I, I, I see. Yeah, uh, same here. I noticed, uh, I don't know if you caught this one, but when they're having dinner and Al is talking about how they helped deliver a baby in Rock, or not Rock Valley, Rush Valley, uh, how amazing it was and how different it was and how they've never experienced something like this. And it was awesome to see life uh, come. Sig, uh, Azumi's husband, kind of gives her a knowing look, like, talking about children may be a trigger for her, but then she takes it fine. So it's kind of like hinting at the fact that there is some deeper pain seated there and what we're going to find out later. I love that. I like how the, the show is thinking ahead of us. It's already lived in this world and these people are interacting with information that we don't know yet. Like he looked at her because he knows that, She's dealt with that in her past, and this could be triggering. We don't know that yet until the end of the episode. So it's really cool going back and us knowing some information ahead of time a little bit and seeing how characters uh, act with one another is really is really cool. I agree. And spoiler to anybody who has not seen avatar the last airbender first if you haven't seen it i don't know what you're doing with your life because it is one of the greatest shows of all time right up there with full metal alchemist brotherhood uh so 
But if you're uh, if you're concerned, like skip maybe five six minutes ahead, and then you'll catch us. But one thing that what that really resonated with me was the whole one is all is one thing. Like that that arc kind of reminded me of the arc of where Zuko and Aang try to learn the truth about firebending. The main reason is when Azumi says that if they don't understand this basic lesson, they will never be good alchemists. And it reminds me of in that episode where, you know, Zuko is no longer driven by anger, so he's no longer able to firebend, and then they have to find the original source of firebending, and they learn that, no, fire is not destruction, it is also life and whatnot, and that is when he learns the true power of firebending, and he's able to bend on his own uh, without using his anger. Well, I felt like it was kind of in the same vein, maybe not exactly the same, but this idea of understanding how the universe works from a fundamental level, like he mentions, uh, we see on the island, Ed mentions, okay, yeah, so when I eat a rabbit, it breaks down, and then my body turns the rabbit's body into a part of me. And, you know, the same thing happened to the grass that the rabbit ate. So then that, that they're, they're relating it back to the deconstruction and reconstruction that we see in alchemy. So I feel like she was trying to teach them the very basics to where they wouldn't be limited in their skills as alchemists. Like they, they're able to understand the true breadth of what alchemy can do and not just be... Uh, military men are not just use it as parlor tricks because you do see a few times here and there when you don't see state alchemists using alchemy the other people who use alchemy seem to just be doing it kind of as a parlor trick it seems like so that i that i just i noticed that parallel a little bit that was one of the first things that popped to my mind oh interesting i never i never thought about that but that is one of my favorite episodes of avatar the last airbender because i do love the dragons spoiler i guess for that episode but yeah seeing i i love re watching this show you definitely pick up more on the like um one part needs the other part like without destruction there's no like uh, rebuilding of something and everything's connected to one another and this episode sums it up pretty well with like i wrote in on my notes in really big layers like circle of life because that's all like after Ed was talking about the grass and the rabbit, I was like, this is totally the circle of life. And then they pan up to the stars too. And I was like, wow, this is giving me Lion King vibes. Yeah. All they missed was a giant lion giving them the answers in the sky or something like that. James Earl Jones. That would have been pretty funny actually. <laughs> If, the, if we just heard James Earl Jones say, yeah. like, Edward, this is how you do alchemy. I, I thought he was going to be like, everything the light touches is yours, Ed and now. But uh, that, unfortunately, that didn't happen. Yeah. So we made a, uh Avatar reference. We made a Lion King reference. We Let's just see how much more through the rest of this podcast series we can tie into full metal alchemist maybe we could do like some weird like conspiracy theory about how everything was inspired <laughs> by full metal alchemist it could it could be I, I mean i might be diving no pun intended for this episode that rabbit hole but we'll find out i also 
loved. Did you notice like after they decided to kill that first rabbit and then it shows them at the fire and they're eating, they have like every animal on a stick. Like after they decided to start eating animals, they were like, we're going to eat everything. There was like a frog, a fish, maybe I think I saw a lizard. They were like, now that we decide to eat, we're going to eat this whole island. I mean, yeah, but I mean, to be fair, it's like, not that there's deer, well, maybe there were and we just didn't see it, but, you know, how much meat can you possibly get off of a snake or a lizard? I mean, they're probably going to eat a lot, but yeah, they probably ate a significant portion of that island's wildlife. I did, I I thought that was hilarious. I also was like, if I eat an ant, will I, like, have an epiphany of life as well? Because he picked up an ant and he ate it and he... It just like everything opened up for a. I was like, what a, what an experience that must be. There is also one quick thing, and I wonder if you caught it too. And it's it's like maybe on screen for a second or two, but I think it's kind of important to the overall mythos of Full Metal Alchemist. When Azumi flashes back to when she opened the gate and she goes to the truth, we notice that truth looks like an adult woman like the silhouette of truth looks like an adult woman whereas with edward it looks like a boy his age so it's like truth is not a consistent thing in the sense that it looks like a silhouette of yourself i did notice that i'm wondering if it's like the truth is your own truth or truth is your own truth like truth is you and it's whoever. Maybe we'll find out because um, now I'm confused. Wait. So, yeah, maybe we'll find out. I was going to say something because we watched these episodes back to back. I think I was going to bring up something from the next episode. But yeah, I think truth is you are your own truth. So you see yourself possibly. Yeah, I mean, that makes as much sense as anything. I mean, hopefully they'll dive into the mythos a little bit more, but I did think that was something important. Uh, Anything else on this episode, or should we just take the hint and jump into the next one? Well, one last thing. I, I, I love this line, and I feel like every time you watch something, there's something you can always take from it. And at the very end of this episode, uh teacher says to them as they're all hugging, she says, it's okay to hurt. And I really loved that at the end where like they were trying to make her feel better as she was, I guess, revealing her truth about what happened in her life and what her letter t- to this point. And I, she feels this guilt for not telling them because maybe that could have prevented them from their uh, future, their future slash present now, but they're all hugging and she says it's okay to hurt. And sometimes I feel like they don't, allow themselves to hurt i guess in a sense that they're always trying to think of the positive side or just be optimistic but not and just bottling up this pain that they have in them so i really love that line i feel like that's something that a viewer could take and kind of put into their own life like it's okay to hurt every now and then it's not like a bad feeling yeah, I actually agree with that uh, 100% because the brothers do spend most of the series, at least up to this point, trying to put on a strong face and trying to act like nothing bothers them. 
Uh, even we see earlier in the Lior episode when they're talking about their parents uh, or how they lost their mom and whatnot. He didn't. He almost seemed like tough. Like in a way, it almost seems like I've I've gotten over it already, and you should get over it too. So it was nice to finally see them just break down the barrier and be vulnerable and let out how they feel. Yeah. So I I really. I really love this episode. I think I I took something away from it. And I hope all our listeners and viewers of this episode also took something away from this one as well. I agree. I agree. This was definitely one of my favorite episodes just because we do learn how they learned alchemy and then we learn kind of their a little bit more about their viewpoint of the world. And so, yeah, it really helps. I think give established the world. And then of course it sets up what's going to happen in the next episode, which we will jump into right now. Let's see. So final episode of the season. And this is one of my favorite episodes. I feel like this, I feel like everything's starting to build up to this. And then after this episode is really when the story starts to get momentum and build upon itself and grow and, we see more of what happens, but I, I'm getting ahead of myself, so let's start. So, Beast of Dublith. Uh, the teacher expels them, or Zumi, who they still call teacher, expels them for breaking the taboo. She tells them to leave. So they head to the train station, but Sig mentions, you know, oh, you're being an idiot. She said you're expelled, so she isn't your teacher anymore. Now she's your equal. She should go and ask her what it is you want to ask. So she go, or sorry, so Ed and Al head back and they demand to know more about what she might know about the Philosopher's Stone or how the brothers can get their body back. She gets mad, but then they, they insist, they dig their heels in, so she respects them and mentions that it's possible that Alphonse may hold the secret because since... Alphonse lost his whole body, whereas Ed and Azumi just lost parts of their body. Since he lost his whole body, he may have gained more knowledge because he sacrificed more. So with the more knowledge he gained, he might actually know how to change their bodies back. Now, we never know if this is the case, or we at this point we don't know, they, because... Alphonse can't remember anything about his experience of traveling through the gate. So they figure, okay, well, we'll just, we'll, we'll work on it. We'll find a way. You guys go to sleep and in the morning, we'll try to think of something. Okay, cool. Well, we notice somebody is outside listening in on their conversation. Next day comes, Alphonse is sweeping and he gets a little note saying to come meet him at this specific uh little tavern called the devil's nest he heads there he's greeted by some sketchy looking people who say that their boss wants to speak to him he tries to run away but they capture him in a very interesting way uh, one of the girls kind of slithers into his armor and puts her limbs into where his limbs are to hold her steady while another guy actually picks him up a uh, big big burly guy they bring him down and they meet the leader of this group gang. His name is Greed. Greed is a homunculus, kind of like what we saw with Lust and Envy 
and gluttony earlier in the season, but now we actually get to learn a little bit more about what the homunculi are. So Al is astonished because he realizes that the gang that the homunculus hangs out with are Chimera. They are talking Chimera, which is a little weird considering he actually met one, but this these they look very humanistic or very human, but with like kind of animal traits. So like, like snake-like or the, the big buff guy is part cow and so on and so forth. So that in and of itself confuses Al because he didn't think chimeras could become that advanced, but Greed says, hey, anything's possible. The military was able to successfully create these, and there's this whole underground world that exists where crazy stuff like this happens all the time. In fact, he's a homunculus. Uh, Al is reasonably shocked because as far as he knows, as far as the world knows, homunculi only exist in theory. Nobody has ever created a homunculus, a homunculus being an artificially created human using alchemy. Well, Ro, the, the cow man, the cow chimera man, uses a hammer to take off Greed's head, like completely knock off Greed's head. And this freaks Al out until Greed stands back up and we literally see his head rebuild from skeleton, skull, to muscles, and then the skin tissue, etc., just building from the ground up, and he is fine. He mentions that he is over 200 years old. He is immortal, or he is not effect. He is not immortal. He's effectively immortal, but he apparently is not eternal in the way he'd like to be. And he wants to learn how Al got his soul attached to the armor because he believes that's true immortality if he can attach himself to this piece of armor or any piece of armor for that matter. Al says, hey, I have like no idea how to do that because I didn't do it. Uh, somebody else did. So they, he sends one of his minions to find Ed. Ed finds him. Ed heads back home, or not back home, Ed heads to the Devil's Nest to find his brother. Uh, then Greed says, hey, I'll make you an exchange. You teach me how to bond armor and a soul together, and I'll teach you how to make your own homunculus, and that will help you ultimately fix your bodies, I guess. Maybe he's thinking about attaching Ed's Al's body to a homunculi or some Al's soul to a homunculi. I don't know. Whatever. Well, now Ed's really angry at this viewpoint because Reed is kind of saying how cool it would be to be a piece of armor because I don't have to eat, I don't have to drink, I'm effectively immortal. And Ed's incredibly angry about this because he wants his brother back. He believes that this is a big inconvenience. He feels guilt over what happened to his brother. So this angers Ed to the point that he wants to fight. Well, now we start to really learn what greed is all about and what makes him tick. Greed has this ability called Ultimate Shield where his skin turns black and becomes indestructible. Ed fights him and he is unable to get an upper hand on him because his body is just too strong. After a while, we see that Ed is has taken a serious beating his arm his metal arm his auto male arm is broken or it's is not completely broken but it's definitely cracked and 
he's like, oh, well, thank you for toying with me because this gave me enough time to figure out how to fight you. So Ed does alchemy on Greed, punches him, and then we see that his skin just breaks and bleeds. Ed's like, well, you mentioned to me that you are still human. So that means that you are you are about a third carbon. And depending on how the atoms are aligned, you can either have, you know, really weak skin or skinned as hard as diamonds. So all he had to do was use the alchemy to change his, change the atoms in his skin and he was able to make it weak. But then he also realized that he can't heal and harden himself at the same time. So this also gives that an advantage. However, Ed's already taken quite a beating. So it's like, oh, can he, can he keep it up long enough to actually subdue greed or will he pass out for blood loss or whatever before this happens. Out of nowhere, Azumi shows up and she goes to save them. And yep, this is where the episode leaves off. She says her famous phrase that we hear a lot in the series. She's When asked who is she, she just says, I am a housewife. And the screen cuts to the end credits. So Jimmy, what were some of your thoughts here? My first thought is, what a weird place to stop in a first quote-unquote season. It's like in the middle of battle and she yells, I'm a housewife, and then we cut, and then we get to part two. Because uh, I don't know how this aired in real time. So I kind of just am thinking of like U.S. America seasons where we get like a long three or four-month break. So I'm like, whoa, that's a really interesting spot to stop on that would definitely keep me on the edge of my seat ready for the next season so that was my first initial thought of this episode yeah yeah that makes sense that's kind of what i felt as well because uh, yeah i mean it is a weird place to stop the season it, it ends on a cliffhanger but i guess it's also a good way to get you to want to start the next season because you, you, it's like, I really have to know how this ended, or I really have to know what happened. So Yeah, that, I also... Yeah. So, I also loved um, the uh, part... This is where I was going to say, when we were talking about the last episode, where they're talking to Al about how he must have seen more of what the truth is, or truth, because he sacrificed his whole body. And I'm wondering if when Al sees truth, is it going to be Al shaped or I mean, if it's Al shaped, then truth is really based off of what you look like as a person. I think if we see three times truth and it's looking like the opposite person, then I'm for sure that truth looks like whoever is at its gate. True. So I would imagine that truth would look similar to Ed because Al and Ed were about the same size when they went through the gate. So who knows, but we'll find out, I guess. And then we get a little about scar in this episode. We get to see scar a little bit and, uh, we get to see a character. Uh, I hope I'm saying his name, right? Yoki. Yes. Or we get to see Yoki and I'm like, Oh, that's the guy that Ed and Al, um, uh, exposed as a corrupt uh, soldier and he like ran away i believe in the maybe four or five episodes ago 
and he's living with the uh, Ishvalans. I found that really interesting. Yep. Yeah, that's uh, I totally yada yada over that part. So yeah, briefly, I don't know. It's like three or four minutes of the episode, so it's it's kind of like a B or C plot at this point. But yeah, we we do kind of catch up with Scar. He's still in that Ishvalan village. He talks to one of their masters, so I'm guessing it's a religious master, a religious leader, and they kind of have a little chat about how the Amestrians did kill them, but seeking revenge isn't healthy or it isn't the right way thing to do. All of a sudden, these two mercenaries show up. Uh, Yoki led them to Scar. And yeah, there's obviously a, there's a bounty on Scar's head, and so they want to collect it. Scar decides to leave because he doesn't want to bring any trouble to this little village of Ishvalan refugees. But of course, he doesn't leave uh, without killing these two guys. He is about to kill, or he, we get the impression that he is about to kill Yoki, but he lets him live because I guess he just sees him as a sniveling coward and just not worth his time. But Yoki decides to follow Scar, and we'll see what happens to that relationship. Also, there's a brief maybe one or two minutes where we see uh, Mustang before he gets transferred to Central, and he requests that all of his men get transferred to Central as well. So we get to see more of Hawkeye and Havoc and Breda and Fury, and I want to say, I can't remember all their names. Oh, Faldman. So yeah. I'm impressed that you remember their names because I only remember Havoc because we find out that Havoc has to break up with his girlfriend that he just made because Mustang's like, you're moving regardless. So I thought that was hilarious. Mustang's kind of putting together his own Avengers team. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, also, I think after the whole thing with Hughes took place, Mustang's starting to realize that he can't trust Eddie. he can't trust a lot of people in the government. And so if he has to have underlings, for lack of a better term, he would rather it be people that he trusts rather than other uh sorry, other than whoever they'd assign to him in central. I know that Armstrong is a major, but I really wish he could have been a part of this team. I feel like it would have just made it so much better for me. Yeah. I agree. I did like that greed showed up because I feel like this is the first time we get actual establishment as to what homunculi are. Now we don't learn anything about their motivation because we see Ed say, well, Hey, he, he notices the Ouroboros tattoo, which is the same tattoo that the other homunculi that he met at the fifth laboratory had. And he's like, well, why don't you just ask your friends? They they were able to bind, uh, th- they were able to bind souls to suit of armor, and we had to fight them at the fifth laboratory. And then he says, "Well, we we aren't talking anymore." So he kind of hints that he's on his own. Uh, so you know, he reasonably, I guess we could say that his agenda doesn't really match up with whatever those other homunculi do. But we learn more about what the homunculi are that they are kind of superhuman. Though they still, and this is what I love about Full Metal Alchemist, there's still like a logic behind their power. Like he is still human. It's just that he has the ability to change his carbon at will. Yes. And we find out that they're 
around 200 years old. He's like, we're, I'm about 200 years old. So that, that puts them way back before kind of maybe the, the war, I guess the it's fallen war. So I'm, I'm wondering, did the military create the homunculi? Cause greed says that the Chima- the Chimera gang that he is in charge of are, were created by the military, which kind of brings up more questions. Cause the military already made these talking Chimeras. And then why do we have such a fascination with Tucker and his weird experiments? We could have just dropped that if they already had this other successful groups, but I'm not sure. Yeah. Well, one thing that, one thing that I thought, and I don't know if they ever elaborate on this. One thing I thought is like, maybe what Tucker did with his wife kind of laid the groundwork for what they did. And then from there, they created their chimera. But yeah, at that point, they didn't really need Tucker to do any more research because they're like, oh, well, we have the base work for us to figure out how to create a talking chimera now. True. Unless those chimeras escaped. Now I'm diving deep into this. Maybe those chimeras escaped and they were like, Tucker, we your research is even more valuable now. And that's why he got the pressure so hard. And what inevitably ends up with his daughter. That's true. That, I mean, it does like open a whole bunch of questions. Like, why was it so important that he created a talking chimera when we literally see five of them in this episode? So it's like, why? Why did you need that so badly? Like five extremely successful talking chimeras. Like they're walking around. They're not screaming for someone to kill them. They're functioning like. People, they look like people, mostly. Like, they don't even have that much traits of animals. While we see that Tucker's chimeras look more animal than they do people. Yep. Yeah, so there's there's a whole understory there. We could probably go in forever trying to figure out what happened. My, My theory is that Tucker, I think, provided the groundwork. And from there, like, they did their own stuff while they let him kind of just do his thing. Maybe they were just like, hey, maybe Tuck will find something even more interesting that we can we can use. But I think the most important part that I took away from this episode is that the homunculus can be killed. Because Greed says that I'm not immortal. So uh, I forgot who did we see. Was it Lust in the episode where Hughes dies? Yes. Where she gets stabbed in the head? Or was it the head? Yeah, she gets stabbed right in the forehead. But then she comes back to life and then Greed gets his head basically chopped off and he comes back. But he does state that he's not immortal. So which means that they can be killed. So knowing that, I feel like, okay, I feel a little bit better if we ever go head to head with these guys. Because though we might not know their weakness, they do have a weakness. Yeah, my guess is based on the fact that he's able to heal himself. And even when Ed's attacking him and stuff, he's still healing himself. Maybe there's just like a limit to the amount of times they can heal themselves. And the goal is just to hit that limit. That would be my guess. I also want to know the falling out. Like, I hope we find out what the falling out is. Because if we did, I don't remember. So I'm excited to find out what the falling out is. And 
I mean, we got lust, envy, gluttony, and now greed. I mean, we got a few more of these deadly sins coming up, so I'm hoping we get like a, a complete set. Yeah, and also the way they named them, or the way we finally introduced greed. So with the other ones being named lust, envy, and gluttony, we, you know, if you're moderately paying attention, you realize, okay, these are the settled and deadly sins, but you didn't know if they were just their names because of a quirk or something like that. But Greed kind of puts it on the table in this episode that he is named Greed because he is greedy. He wants everything and and everything. And that may very well be like one of his motivations for why he left the team because he wanted more of whatever it was that they got or their goals weren't aligned with his goal or whatever. So I think we'll see more of the homunculi, but also get to see more of what makes them tick. One thing that I never really got about greed, though, was I don't, I, I, guess, I guess it's a stretch, but I don't really understand what his power, the ultimate shield, has to do with greed. The only possible connection I can have is allowing him to protect the stuff that he's gained. I don't know. I'm wondering if it's knowledge, like he learned how to do that or because he's kind of like, I want to learn. I want to know everything. He wants the knowledge that Ed has. I don't, I don't know. Maybe he learned this from something and like he just wants it, wants it all. I don't, he, I, I don't understand him as well. So I'm sure we're going to get more of him, though. I just want to figure out why he wants to be immortal. Now, granted, everybody talks about wanting to be immortal. But he just, he there's a weird kind of desperation to it. So it's almost as if, I don't know, he's, maybe he's running out of time or something. It just, it seems weird that he's looking for it right now in general versus finding another way or going and begging the other people. Hey, you guys created some armor. Why don't you figure out a way to uh, give me an armor body or something to that effect? Like, I feel like there's something more there. I don't know, but I have one last question to throw out there. Um, they say hum- the homunculi are made by, are people made by alchemy. Does that mean that that they're like, uh, I guess mindsets are also been programmed? Like, did someone program him with this uh, passion for for greed? Or are they like programmed that way? Because they're made. They're made people, so did they get programmed with this mindset? I mean, I'd have to guess. Uh, I I don't know how neuro, neurology works or psychology works in the Full Metal Alchemist universe, but I imagine creating an entire persona is probably difficult, so maybe they just create them with a single mindset. Like, okay, you're a really greedy person, and you're a really lustful one, and you're a really envious one, and just leave it at that. What a weird traits to pick for people, if that's so. But I, I that just crossed my mind, like because they are made, and we see that he he shows the strongest uh, ambition to his namesake. Like I don't see like the other. Well, I guess gluttony is also gluttony and greed are in the same boat, though. So I don't see envy and lust being too much into like showing their namesake, but I do see like the other two being like, I wanted everything. And then gluttony's like, I want to eat everything. Yeah. Envy never really seems envious in the show, or at least not yet. 
Uh, and same thing with Lust. Like, the only thing lustful about Lust is the fact that she's, like, a very attractive woman. But we never see her really seducing anybody or being lustful or anything at this point in time. So maybe something to look forward to. I don't know. Yeah. I mean, hopefully we learn more. And then that also means if they are following the seven deadly sins theme, that means we also have pride, wrath and sloth coming up soon. So hopefully we get to meet them as well and see what their deal is. Yeah. Cool. Any other thoughts on this episode? No, it's a, I said it was a, at the beginning of this episode that it was a weird spot to end the episode on, but I think this was like a really great kind of ending for this part one. It ended in a weird spot, but I liked this whole this whole episode. So I like how the season ended. It, it, it was really good. I agree, and I think season two will start at a good point because now we'll actually get some resolution and hopefully that... Like I said at the beginning, hopefully that launches us forward because it feels like now things are actually happening and we're starting to get more fleshed out stories. So hopefully this kind of creates us a ball, a snowball effect where we learn more and more and more and the story becomes more cohesive. Yep. I can't I can't wait to dive deeper into every scene that I see. So I'm, I'm ready to go down this rabbit hole with you. Awesome. Well, we'll catch you guys next week. As always, you can find us at Twitter at Full Metal Pod, as well as Reddit, same username. And we will catch you next time. Take care. Bye. Thank you.